In this episode, neurology resident Lucas Horta interviews Dr. Courtney Takahashi, a neurocritical care specialist on a topic of post-traumatic brain injury. A reminder that the purpose of this podcast is for education and not for direct medical advice. We hope you enjoy. Hello, everyone. Tonight, we'll be talking about uh, post-TBI care in the outpatient setting. Dr. Takahashi, thank you for coming. Thank you. I'm totally honored to be here. This is the first podcast I've ever been invited to, so I'm very excited. All right. Um, let's get to it. Um, how would you define um, traumatic brain injury? Yeah, so I would define traumatic brain injury as any type of um outside force or blow to the head that then causes subsequent neurological injury. And traumatic brain injury is oftentimes broken down into different categories. Uh, so the, the main category that I see as a neurointensivist are severe traumatic brain injuries. Uh, and then so those are people who have a GCS, a Glasgow Coma Score of eight or less. Uh, moderate traumatic brain injury is typically people who have a Glasgow Coma Score of 9 to 12, and a mild traumatic brain injury is people who have a Glasgow Coma Scale of 13 to 15. Um, and as a neurologist, I understand that Glasgow Coma Scale is a very coarse measure for the extremely detailed and elegant work that we do, but that's how it has been uh, commonly defined in the literature. I see. And, uh, and then how... How is your general approach to this patient with traumatic brain injury um, in the outpatient setting? That's a great question, Lucas. My general approach to these patients is I try to be uh, very open-minded. Um, and so I'm a neurointensivist by training, uh, meaning that I did a neurology residency, but my post-residency training and my fellowship training was all in critical care. And so... Really, I'm a general neurologist with a critical care skill set, if that makes sense. Um, and so I'm the type of neurologist where everything still excites me. Movement disorders excite me. Um, stroke excites me. Neuromuscular excites me. And so I really try to stay open-minded because, unfortunately, with a traumatic brain injury, people can come in and present with a wide variety of symptoms after the event. So... Uh, post-traumatic headaches are very common. Um, post-traumatic epilepsy is unfortunately common. Uh, people can often describe cognitive slowing, problems with insomnia. And so the problems they come in with really spans the gamut of the different types of problems that neurologists uh, commonly deal with. Um, and so I really try to stay open-minded with these patients, like I said, and really ask them, are you having headaches? Did you have headaches before? Are you having any types of auras? Do you have any episodes of losing consciousness? People volunteer to uh, tell you this kind of information. But I think something very special about the TBI patient population is that they lose some of that self-awareness. And so they may not as readily share information either because they have a harder time sorting out what's important or they may feel embarrassed, um, but it's a slightly different population than I would say the, um, you know, the typical neurology outpatient who comes in and knows exactly why they're coming in and why they're seeking care. Yeah, interesting. Um, I 
I wasn't expecting um, such a wide variety. Um, when, when you are in the outpatient setting, what are these complaints or these problems do you think um, come up most often or uh, are best tackled in clinic? Yeah, that's another great question. I think the most common uh, problems that people come up with, unfortunately, are I get a lot of complaints about headache. You know, there are many headache therapies available. And so the same way you would take an approach to a headache patient um, in a headache clinic, uh, you can do the same thing. So I try common things first, gabapentin, beta blockers. Um, you know, I take a look at their comorbidities, see might what work out with their uh, any pre-existing renal disease, any pre-existing uh, liver disease, uh, what might have a medication-medication interaction, but it ends up being a lot of trial and error the same way it does, I think, in general headache medicine, where some medications will work great for some patients, others won't, um, and you just kind of have to be patient with the whole process. I think another very common complaint, which um, is harder to manage because there aren't as many treatment options are people often describe cognitive slowing. They sometimes describe it as brain fog, uh, or sometimes it also just manifests as this frustration or agitation. I think a lot of times they have this awareness that they can do things better or faster, but it's almost like they're being cognitively held back. Um, and it's unfortunate because there aren't a lot of options that I have for um, medical management of these conditions. Oftentimes, it's a lot of intensive physical therapy, occupational therapy, uh, and especially cognitive speech that will help them to overcome. And they have to learn some compensatory mechanisms that they may not have had before. I often find myself say saying, you know, you need to keep a calendar. You need to write things down. You need to bring someone with you to these appointments to help you to remember the most important parts. Um, but I think that's very frustrating. And unfortunately, we're very limited in how we can treat these things. And a lot of these patients are young. They're still working age. Um, and that is just an unfortunate part of the traumatic brain injury population that a lot of these people may be in the prime of their adulthood and have these types of frustrations come up. I see. Yeah. Another thing that um, I've, I've encountered a few times and you mentioned is the post-traumatic epilepsy. Um, mm -hmm. Do you have any specific approach to that, uh, this type of epilepsy, or do you approach this as a epilepsy in general? It's an excellent point. Uh, there are, I think, some nuances about treating epilepsy in the traumatic brain injury population. Um, I know that the podcast is very outpatient focused and I, I promise I'm a neurointensivist, so I won't stay too much in the inpatient sphere. Um, we do give them prophylaxis in the inpatient setting. Most commonly now is levetiracetam, but phenytoin is actually the approved medication. It's just that there have been several non-inferiority studies that show that levetiracetam is equally effective and it is easier to manage. Um, but after that first seven days, these people become much higher risk for post-traumatic epilepsy. And some, some things that I consider in this population that I wouldn't in others is, unfortunately, post-traumatic agitation is very, very common. There is also something about this population where there are a lot of people who 
may have been, you know, slightly more on the risk taking side. And that's why how they ended up with a traumatic brain injury in the first place. And so I tend to like medications that have more of a mood stabilization effect, much more than I do in, I would say, kind of a general epilepsy population, or in other patients I see who have developed epilepsy secondary to hemorrhagic stroke or ischemic stroke. Um, and so one of my big go-to medications will oftentimes be valproic acid. Um, I find that it does a great job with mood stabilization. Uh, an unfortunate drawback is that a lot of these patients can develop uh, shock liver, liver lacerations. Um, and so I always, like any other time, have to be very careful when I use valproic acid. Um, but I think it does come up more commonly for me um, in this type of population. I think mm -hmm. another big pearl is, you know, a lot of times, like I said, we'll use, uh, levoteracetam in the inpatient setting, but when we transition into the outpatient setting for a lot of these patients, uh, what worked for them in the inpatient setting where they may have been comatose or obtunded may not work as well in the outpatient setting. I know that once people are awake enough and especially if they become frustrated, levoteracetam can sometimes exacerbate agitation or underlying uh, mental health problems. And so I often encourage epileptologists, which we, you know, we usually don't like to switch medications. Oftentimes what worked for someone in the inpatient setting is not going to work as well in the outpatient setting. Uh, and so uh, Lamotrigine is one of my favorite drugs in this population. Uh, again, it has that mood stabilizing effect. It's not very good as an inpatient drug, but it works really well as an outpatient type of drug. Um, and so those are some of my um, go-tos and some of the things that I really prefer in this type of population and some of the considerations I have when treating long-term epilepsy in them. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes sense. Thank you. Um, and uh, we, we also touched on this um, just now. Um, the, the arousal can be a problem on these patients and the level of consciousness. Um, how do you approach the patients that have this difficulty with arousal like chronically, that they don't improve after the inpatient setting? Right. Um, this is one of the few areas of, I guess we can call it traumatic brain injury medicine, where there are some medications that we have that can truly help people. A bit, and one medication that can be a big help is amantadine. Uh, so there's actually a New England Journal of Medicine article showing the efficacy of amantadine in the setting of people who have either been in a minimally conscious state or a vegetative state after traumatic brain injury and showing some good outcomes. So some ability to engage, follow commands a little bit more than they had been before. Um, and so I'm very quick to use amantadine in this population. I don't know how well that effect has been borne out in other populations that where people become very seriously injured after this type of injury, but it is something that has uh, some data behind it and has shown that people can do well. Uh, modafinil can also help with some awake uh, arousal and uh, maintain maintenance of a wakeful state. Um, I don't use it as frequently, but it's another strategy that can be employed to help with level of consciousness in this patient population.
So if a patient or a family asks you, um, what's the general prognosis? Do you have a, like a specific way that you answer that question? I know it's a difficult thing to say. Sure. It's, it's a definitely a difficult question, but at the same time, it's a question I hear from almost every single patient and family that I treat. Most often, patients unfortunately suffer from long-term cognitive effects that can be very difficult to recover from. And what I mean by that is oftentimes uh, people do, rehab does a great job of recovering, you know, people's ability to move, to be coordinated, um, but we don't do as good of a job with higher level cognitive functioning. And so, for instance, things like multitasking, um, you know, exhibiting good judgment, impulse control can be very hard for people post-traumatic brain injury. Um, I know it's personally hard for me and I haven't suffered a traumatic <laughs> brain injury, but it can be especially so for someone who has suffered a traumatic brain injury. And I often emphasize this to families because I think that they can get very easily frustrated with the mood liability, with the forgetfulness, um, with the inability to manage finances or other more advanced tasks. Uh, and so I really try to emphasize that the person is not doing it to annoy you or to make you crazy. They can't help it. And it's going to be a long learning and recovery process. And that can be hard because you can see someone recover motor function quite well, especially a younger person. But the most common, unfortunate, long-term consequence of traumatic brain injury is that a lot of these people can't return to work, or if they can, it's not with at the cognitive level or the ability that they had before the injury. Awesome. That was, uh, that was super cool. Thank you so much. Uh, this was extremely helpful. Thank you for inviting me. I'm honored. I'd be happy to do it again if you guys would have me. Absolutely.